We're going to open up with some scripture here. I want to open up in prayer and then jump into scripture. We've been going through a little series called How to Study the Bible. And so we've talked about it being the Word of God, what that means, that it's important to look at the Bible. Even if you don't believe in it, I think it's pretty important to know what you don't believe in. You should study it and look at it to see what it says, that you should uh, look at it as an ancient text, as a historical text. And then if you're a believer, when you're looking at Scripture, you're looking at it as it describes itself. And we're going to jump into a few of those verses here in a second to see how the Bible describes itself. We talked about those last week, but we've been in this for, this is the third week, so if you want to catch up on these, you can go to our website at cometoabc.com. It's also, most of them, I think, are on the Facebook page and on our YouTube channel as well, so you can check those out there. Let's start with prayer. Lord, uh, help me to get out of the way and help your word to, to go forth. I pray that when we're talking even about how to read the word and methodology and looking at scripture, that your spirit would speak to us. And and we know that sometimes these things can feel dry, but they're deeply important because they impact how we view you and how we view ourselves. So today I ask that we would walk away with a clear vision of who you are, that you would speak to us, and that because of that, your spirit would draw us closer to your son, Jesus Christ, and that we would choose to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. It is good to see all of you, and I am so glad that you're here. Uh, I Some of this stuff I didn't really learn until I was in school. I was already using some of it when I read Scripture, but I didn't know what it meant. And so as we go through this, you might just say, well, that makes sense. That's kind of logical. But it took somebody writing it down to kind of form what we're talking about. But before that, let's look at what Scripture calls itself. And Aiden has his work cut out for him today as he runs through uh, my slides because we're kind of in the middle of them. And so if you want to open up your Bible, I want to look at Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, I believe. And if you have a Burgundy Bible, that is page 510. So Psalm 119... And then we're going to jump all the way to verse 105. There's a lot of verses in Psalm 119. And uh, here it says, Your word is a lamp to guide my feet and a light for my what? Path. How many of you have lost power before? I know the Worthmans go about a quarter of their time without power over there (laughs) in Arcadia. They had it, was it this last week, they had a two-hour delay at the school because of lack of power. I think it was this week or the week before. So uh, power is important. Now, they didn't have electricity back then, but they had lamps, oil lamps. I grew up in an area with Amish folks. And they would have hanging lamps in their kitchens and on their tables sometimes. And they'd have to light the lamps before the dark came, and then they would be able to see. So lamp was very important to people. It protected them, kept them safe, helped them to know what was around them, helped them to see what was going on. So here is what is happening is the Word of God is a spiritual lamp to guide your spiritual life and your path. But realize that your spiritual life is also your physical life, right? 
So we want to trust in the word of God. Now, where, the, where is the word of God? Well, God throughout Scripture says, this is what I say. He says that. He says, the Lord says this. This is what I'm saying. He speaks through the prophets. He speaks through the authors in the Scripture. So we have a lot of different authors of the Bible, but they're all guided by the Holy Spirit. And then when we look at the Word of God, when we look at His, his rulings, His principles, and His laws, we guide our life according to that. So what does it mean? Well, we look, it doesn't just do you any good if you have a light and close your eyes. You ever play that game? My kids were playing it last week. Where you close your eyes and you try to move through the room. I don't encourage that when you're an adult. It will hurt. But, and I just banged into the table right then. If the lamp is on, it does no good if your eyes aren't open. God wants your eyes to be open to his truth. And then he wants your feet to follow the path that he plants in front of you. As believers, sometimes we have the light. We know what it is. We know what the Word of God says. But then we close our eyes. That's no good, right? We need to have our eyes open. Other times, we have the light. We have our eyes open. But we're looking into the darkness. How many of you have done that before? You're looking so far into the future of where the path goes that you're concerned and anxious about it. Anyone? A few of you are honest. <laughs> I think we all do that, right? It is so hard to be present. It's much easier to think about the past or think about the super future. And by super future, I mean, you know, a ways out, not in the next few minutes. So we have to do this. We have to allow God's word to guide our very feet, which is kind of our next steps, and then light up our path, but realize that our path isn't always five years down the road, 10 years down the road. And this should bring us some peace because uh, sometimes as a believer, I feel like I'm lacking faith or something if I don't see the future. Not true. Not true at all. We're called to live in the present, and we're called to just see the next step in front of us. And then we also know that Jesus is walking with us. Amen? So hopefully that relieves a little bit of the tension that you have. If you're doing this, then you're doing it right. Hebrews 4.12. All right, Hebrews 4.12, and that's page 1010 if you're in the Burgundy Bible. I know what page it is, and I still can't get there. All right. I went past it. Hebrews 4.12. This is what the, the Word of God is, okay? This is what is being described as the Word of God. For the Word of God is, what does it say there? Alive. What does that mean? God is alive, right? His word is alive. Remember that God's word, his very breath, brought what? Life. In Genesis, we see that God breathes and puts life into the body of humans. Before that, he speaks creation into existence. So long before there was Siri, long before there was Alexa, he was speaking things into existence. Not just, you know, out of nothing comes something because God speaks. So God is alive and powerful. His word is alive and powerful, and it is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God. Everything is naked and exposed before his eyes, and he is the one to whom we are accountable. It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. How many of you thought you had good intentions in something and then later found out you didn't? I, I sometimes get my feelings hurt, 
And then my immediate response is fight back. And it's not good. It's not kind. And sometimes it comes across harsh. Why? Because I think I'm right, and I know everyone else is wrong. Right? Well, as long as you're agreeing with me, you're right. No one else? No one else experiences this? Like, this is what most arguments in marriage are over. Like, sometimes it's not even that the other person is trying to pick a fight. It's just that we're sensitive. And uh, we think we have the right motive. There are things I've done, and, and I think I'm doing it for the right reason. And then I go into the Word of God, and I'm reading something, and I'm like, whoa, okay. It, it kind of flips everything I thought on its head, and it shows me myself. It puts a mirror up to who I am and to what I'm doing and how I'm living, and it proves whether or not it's good or bad. We have to allow the Word of God to do that. This is why. This is why when we're living in sin, the last thing we want to do is read Scripture. Because we know it's going to do this. We know it's going to do this. This is why when we're living in sin, the most important thing we can do is read Scripture. Because it's going to do this. So whenever we approach the Word of God, we have to approach it kind of like King David did. And say, search my heart, O Lord, and show me if there's any wicked deed within me, any wicked thought within me. And expose my innermost thoughts and desires, like Hebrews 4.12 says. How many of you believe that's kind of a dangerous prayer? It's dangerous for my ego, I'll tell you that. It's, it's dangerous for my, you know who it's really good for? Ultimately, it's good for me, but it's ultimately good for those around me too, right? Because if the word of God is cutting the stuff out of me that shouldn't be there, who is that helping? It's helping you all. <laughs> It's helping my wife pray for her. It's helping my kids. It's helping how I lead my family. It's helping how I preach to you, how, how we allow the Scripture to, to do this. I, I think sometimes the Protestant church has neglected confession to the point where we're missing a large part of the gospel. Meaning we are called to confess our sins one to another. We're called to admit to our failures. And here's the deal. Here's what I know about the lost world out there. They already know we don't have everything right. If we know we don't have everything right, maybe we should stop pretending that we have everything right and start looking to Scripture to show us how to get it right. Because that's what the world wants. They want honesty. That's what we want as believers. We want honesty. So we need to allow the word of God to do, we called it surgery, to cut out the cancer within us. Because if he's able to cut that thinly, cutting between soul and spirit, then he can cut whatever garbage is in our mind, in our hearts, in our actions, and in our life out. And then expose where we need to change. How many of you have been changed by scripture before? How many of you are still in that process, right? I am. Yes. So that's very good. So this is what the word of God is according to the word of God. And then we go to 2 Timothy, so we're going to just go backwards a few pages. It's uh, page 1002. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. I was in Titus, and I was like, where is it? It's not there. Okay. Uh, 2 Timothy 3, verse 16 through 17. It says this. 
All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it, here's how he uses it, to prepare and equip, say me, me, because you're his people, right, to do every good work. And you can also say us. He uses it to equip what? Us. To do his good work. What good work? Every good work. I like that. Every one of them. Like all of them that you find in the scripture, he uses us. So this is the incredible thing, I think, is that God uses people that are messed up, that are flawed, that don't have it all together. And he says, come follow me. And as we go doing this, I will show you what you're doing wrong, according to scripture. And I will correct you. And and you're going to live in obedience in this. And even as we're doing this, you're going to be used to do the work of God. So when you volunteer, when you serve, when you uh, share outside and inside the church, you are doing the very work of God. I I find that incredible, that God uses us in this way, that he allows us to participate. I uh, said earlier, Selena asked, you know, what did you you all uh, imagine or pretend you were going to be? Well, actually, that was Kim, wasn't it? What do you all pretend you're going to be when you grew up? And I said, uh, I wanted to be an NBA basketball player. Now, unfortunately, my shot was never there. My jumps were never there. None of it was ever there. I enjoyed it, though. It was fun. And, and this is like, you know, something I just dreamed about and, and thought about. And uh, growing up, my favorite basketball player, and still my favorite team, even though most of the time they're miserable, the Chicago Bulls and Michael Jordan. I was never a great Pacers fan. You can all hit me later. I, I loved Randy Miller's swag and his attitude and everything else. Reggie Miller. <laughs> there you go. How did I say Randy? <laughs> Reggie Miller. I, I, and, I, and I will admit, I cheered for the Pacers when they played against New York. The Knicks. I could not, I could not stand the Knicks. And I remember when he... Uh, I was jumping up and down screaming when he had that, like, 30 seconds where he overcame eight points. I mean, that was, his name wasn't Randy then either. It was Reggie. Jeez. It's an hour earlier, guys. So here's, here's what happens is uh, I, I would watch those, and then, like, I probably couldn't even make my high school team. And I would think, man, it would be so cool if, you know, you play basketball with this person and that person be on their team. Like, even if you weren't on the court much, you could be on the team. Here's the deal, like the God of creation, the God who spoke things into existence, comes down, dies for you, is risen again, and then says, hey, come be a part of my team, and I want you to be the main player off the bench. I want you to be a starter eventually. I want you. This is what God does for us. And we're sitting there going, oh, I'm not ready. And he's saying, yeah, you are. You have to do it. He's calling you in. He's calling you into the play. He's calling you into to do the work that he asked for you. So this is what scripture does for us. It prepares us for ministry. It guides us. However, however, it can be dangerous. It can be dangerous if it's misused and misapplied. If we take scripture out of context, if we try to look for a verse to give us the answer we already want, then we can end up in dangerous territory, right? Uh, How many of you are familiar with the phrase, drinking the Kool-Aid? 
So this is, it, it sounds funny when we say it, but actually a lot of people died because they drank poison, because they were following someone who misapplied scripture, who misinterpreted it, and created something for himself. I think he probably did it maliciously. This is why it would be really good if all those people knew scripture, right? Because they'd be like, uh-uh, no way, no way, we're not going over there with you. You need to know scripture yourself in case me or someone else who has a microphone is saying something that is completely incorrect. You need to know what the word of God says. You also need to know that words have to mean what they say they mean when they were written how they mean. Meaning you cannot take people's words and just create whatever clause you want out of them and say this person said that. The media does that kind of now. People take sound bites out of context and they just throw them against the wall and everyone gets upset. And then you go and you watch what somebody said. You're like, they didn't even say that. They didn't mean that at all. People do that with scripture and it's inappropriate. It's misuse of God's word. And I think they'll fall ultimately under the judgment of him because they're applying something to him that is not him. It's blasphemy. You with me? So it says, uh, Timothy says to study to show yourself approved. I, I think that's for everyone, not just for pastors. We need to do that. We need to know what the word of God says so that we can apply it correctly. So just because you have the word of God uh, doesn't mean that you can take a verse out of context by itself, put it on a t-shirt and live it out and say, this is the only thing I'm going to do out of context. Because we can take things out of context. We can take things too literally. We can take things too spiritually. We can do all of these things. And that becomes very, very dangerous territory because every cult that was ever created had Bible verses that they thought they were applying correctly. And because they didn't do their work, they ended up in the wrong place, following the wrong thing. Now, now does... God forgive them for that? I, I, I surely hope so. I think some people are very devout. They're following. But I also know that we're called ourselves to study. Do not become lazy when it comes to Scripture. Please, please, please do the right thing. So there's something that eventually developed uh, not too long ago uh, called hermeneutics. Everyone say Herman. And then say nudics. Hermeneutics. And it comes from the Greek word hermano, which means to interpret or translate. So uh, look at the Bible in front of you. See what, what kind of words are in there. Are they mostly English? I think probably most of you have an English uh, Bible, right, in front of you. That means that it's translated, it's interpreted so that you can understand it, so that you can read it. Uh, in order to do that, you have to have scholars that are looking at these words that are written in Greek, in Hebrew, and they have to come to an idea, Aramaic, a lot of the times, they have to come to an idea of what this means. And it's a, also a way of looking at literature. And it really started with the interpretation of the Bible. And now hermeneutics are used in almost every type of text evaluation, especially uh, nonfiction text evaluation. Wisdom literature, philosophical text, all those things have to go through this process. And I'm going to give you a few of the rules. I did not create these rules, so don't get upset with me. I did not even write these rules. These are rules that are of hermeneutics that help us understand Scripture a little bit better. It helps us understand what is happening. Uh, Reverend Guy Duty wrote this. He says, Nearly all false doctrines taught today by Christians and cultists alike can be traced to the distortion of the meaning of biblical words. 
These eight rules are prayerfully offered in the hope that they may help many come to the truth of what God says in his word. So, reading scripture is a great start. Studying scripture is even better. Understanding what you're studying, right? That's where we need to be. We need to have an understanding, kind of know how the donuts are made, right? How they make this, how this is came to be. And then we can understand the context interpretation of everything. So if you have a pen, if you can jot these down, I will post this when we post the sermon online. Thank you, all of you that are watching online. When we post that, I will include these in the notes if you want to find these later. I know some of you already have these printed off. Eight rules of Bible interpretation, okay? Number one is the rule of definition. What does the word mean? When any study of scripture is taken, if you're looking directly at the words, you need to look at what that word is and then understand what it means. How many of you know that words change and have changed in your lifetime? But when someone writes something a long time ago, you need to know what that word meant to them, right? So any study of scripture must begin with the study of words. And you define your terms and then you try to keep those defined. So sometimes um, we'll look at a word, like we, we talked about it a few we weeks ago. We said Lord, when you see Lord in the context of the Old Testament, all capitalized. What that means is they're referring to God, the God of the covenant. So they're referring to God, but they're also referring to the covenant that God held with them. So whenever they see Lord, capitalized, they know that it's speaking about their relationship with him and the promise that God has made for them. So that helps you understand. Like, I don't always remember these things. I have to go and study them and then look at individual words. If you want to learn more about that stuff, you can. There are, there are uh, Greek intellectuals, and you have other types of lexicons that are Hebrew and English and Greek to English and those types of things, and you can parse out what these individual words say. The reason we, we need that type of stuff is because the Greeks and the Hebrews and the Aramaic people, when they're uh, that language, they're all sentence structure slightly different. How many of you studied other languages before and you know that that can be confusing at first. And so then when they translate it to us, they put it in a format that we can, we can read and understand a little bit better. So you need to know what the actual word means. This is when you're looking at in-depth study. You'll see later as we go broader and diverse in, in chapter what that also means. Also, number two, the rule of usage. Everyone say usage. It must be remembered that the Old Testament was written originally to and by the Jewish people. The words and idioms must ha be, have been intelligible to them, just as the words of Christ when talking to them must have been. And the majority of the New Testament, likewise, is written in Maleo of Greek and Roman and to a lesser extent Jewish culture, and it's important not to impose our modern usage into our interpretation. Does that make sense? No. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Until we pull back, okay? What he's saying is, this comes from a culture. So the Bible is inspired by God, but comes from and through the hands of people, doesn't it? And so if it does that, then understanding who the author is directs our thoughts a little bit better. Understanding the culture they grew up, knowing that it's not Western thought they're coming from, but it's a very Jewish thought pattern that they have, and that they grew up in this, so they understand it just a little bit differently. 
I think the Gospels are incredible for this. If you look backwards and you look into the Old Testament, I think you really need to have the Old Testament in order to understand the Gospels. Why? Well, Jesus quoted the Old Testament over and over again. He quoted Scripture. He read Scripture. He knew Scripture, and he was referring to it. And, and even they sometimes got things messed up because they weren't applying it correctly. But Jesus would call them out on it. And he says, this is what the word of God says. For it is written. Whenever you see, for it is written, it is referring to this type of thing. So usage is definitely important. Understanding what is happening, the history of the culture, and what is going on. One of the things that was really incredible to me, some of, uh, I've talked to some of you that have been to like the Holy Land and other places like that. And uh, it took a while before I realized that they say they went up to this place. They went down to this place. That geographically, they are going north and south, but also sometimes they're going up in elevation and down in elevation. They realize that Scripture is written from a real place. You can go there now and visit some of these things. That's incredible. I, I had the... the awesome privilege of going to a preaching conference early last week and they were showing pictures of what they thought Paul's prison was and Paul's prison is not like the nice jail cell we think of today it was basically like living in a sewer as you would go down steps into like a dungeon you're thinking okay now we're in the dungeon we're in the basement right and that's where the guards would be and then you go down lower and there'd be like this sewer grate with bars across it and then they would put the prisoners down in there and then they would lower food down and so my first thought was the thought that the pastor answered a minute later and I was like wait a minute so they're all shoved in there yeah so it's made for about eight people but they could have had like 30 or so in there when Paul was there and then you go down another little you just right in there that room with all of them in the darkness you have another grate and that's where their non-toilet hole is so when you see, like, Paul talking in Timothy and saying, hey, I need you, brother. I need you to come and visit me. Bring the scrolls. Bring me a coat. I'm cold. It takes on a whole new meaning because he's not just in, like, house arrest, jail cell. He doesn't have a nice little collar on his ankle. He is in a sewer, basically, and he may have not been able to sit down to sleep. That makes a big difference to me. You see that, how the usage changes, how the context changes when you see the picture of the story that's happening around you? It's incredible. Paul kept his faith through all of that. He says, I count it, <laughs> I count suffering as a blessing. That's crazy. Okay, so, all right, then you have three, the rule of context. The meaning uh, must be gathered from the context. Okay, this is an important one because sometimes we misapply it meaning well, we take verses out of context, and we say, you know, oh, God's going to work everything, you know, for your good. And then we don't take it into the whole context for according to his purpose and glory. You with me? We know God's going to work everything towards your good, and we're like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Things are going to be great for me, according to him and his will. This is like the, you know, when we start praying, you know, ask anything, and it shall be given to you. We want to stop right there, right? Like, let's put that on the coffee mug and make a book about that and sell it, right? Because that would be great if we could just pray for everyone to have a Lamborghini out in the parking lot right now and a million-dollar check in your pocket. 
You know, I'm going to pray that right now, and I'm going to stand on Scripture saying, no, I'm being sarcastic, okay? Why? Because it's not according to his will. It's not according to his will. So we have to pray according to his will. So that's context, right? We will read something, and we latch onto it and say, yes, like this is the little Twitter thing I want to run with, instead of looking at the chapter, the book, who is it written to, why is it written, who's writing it, and does it even make sense? Because if we start doing that, and then we look at who's writing some of these things, like Paul's writing this, or Jesus is writing this, and, and, and then we say, well, wait a minute, Jesus suffered, and he also said, pick up your cross and follow me, right? He also said, you're going to endure many things, many hardships in this life. We have to take that in balance, amen? We have to take all of Scripture in order to understand a little bit of it. We have to understand most of it. So we have to look at it in context. We can't take one verse and pit it against another verse and then try to form a doctrine out of it. That's incorrect. The meaning must be gathered from the context, and every word you read must be understood in the light of the many words that came before and after it. Even what's happening is important. Many passages will not be understood at all or understood incorrectly without the help afforded by context. I am continually adjusting my thoughts because I understand context better. My thoughts are not correct because they're my thoughts. Everyone say amen to that. I'm telling you, your husband's thoughts are not correct because they're his thoughts. Your wife's thoughts are not correct because they're her thoughts on Scripture. Your feelings do not equate into whether or not this is true. It is context, and it is what it originally meant and what it was supposed to do in order to help us. Now, we have to continually adjust our attitudes, our behavior, and even how we view Scripture in order to understand that better. Does that make sense? I think it does. We have to have proof text. We have to create things. We can't create ideas just out of one verse. We can't just go do whatever we want. A good example of this is... Um, the Mormon practice. How many of you have heard of Mormons before? Okay. Nice people. They're trying to do their best. However, I don't think they're doing what God wants them to do. All right? The Mormon practice, you use 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5. And in there it says, For there be gods and many lords, many. And they use this as proof deck text for their doctrine of polytheism, which says they're going to become gods. That there are several gods out there, that even the one true God of this world, there are universes outside of our realm where there are other gods. And they use this verse, but notice in, when we read the scripture, it's lowercase g. Uh, and there's a proof text of that, and a simple reading of the whole verse in context with what Paul is saying is he says, specifically, there are several so-called gods. So what does that mean? It means he doesn't believe them. They're not real gods, right? You with me? There's a difference between the real God and so-called gods. So he's pointing out the error of these people's ways. He's actually speaking against polytheism, not giving an argument for. And so sometimes people will misapply scriptures, and then they run off with them, and they don't look at anything else, and they form opinions, and then they don't allow the word of God to correct them in that. Okay, so don't do that. Everyone say, don't do it. <laughs> do your best to try to understand context. Please, please, please. All right, the rule of context. Number four, the rule of historical background. The interpreter must have some awareness of the life and society of the times in which the scripture was written. 
The spiritual principle will be timeless, but often it can't be fully appreciated without some knowledge of the background. This is why it's important for us to know where they were writing from, who they were writing to, right? Why are they writing this? Is it a letter of correction? Is it a letter specifically to a church? Now, it's for us, too, because we got it, right? But understanding what its original intent was, what the historical background around it is, like I, the series that we did uh, a few weeks ago with Jonah, like I knew one-fourth of the stuff that I knew about it until I started studying the culture and context and understanding what was happening in the Assyrian nations and what the, the, the Ninevites were doing and everything else. It all started to make a lot more sense once I understood where they were coming for. You have to remember that when people hear these stories or they're reading scripture or hearing it spoken to them for the first time, they often are in the immediate area of the context of that. So it's not explained. A lot of the details are not in there, but this can help you understand it. Understand it well. It's, it's a good, good thing. So going back and reading archaeology uh, context, understanding some of the wars that were going on in the Old Testament, that stuff is very helpful. Number five, the rule of logic. Everyone say, I can think. Use logical reasoning. When interpreting scripture, the use of reason is everywhere to be assumed. Does this make sense? Does this make sense? The Bible is given to us in the form of human language and therefore appeals to human reason. It invites what? What does that say? Investigation. Do not be afraid to test it. I'm telling you, this will outlast you. <laughs> I'm telling you, I, you know, I haven't gone through scripture and said, well, okay, this makes it all wrong for me. No, it usually corrects me. It corrects me. And then if it doesn't correct me, it's probably because I'm not there yet. I don't see it yet. So it invites us to investigate. We're supposed to use logic. We're supposed to understand. Uh, too far and too often, I think, people have come into church and thought they've had to turn off their brains. Do not turn off your brain. Please use it. Everyone say, I have my brain on. <laughs> Guys, Christians are supposed to be thinkers. Amen? We should be thinking about things on a whole nother level than what other people are thinking about. Like we are not caught up in the moment to moment. We see the past clearly. We see the future outlaid according to Scripture clearly. We are not confused. We are to have logic. We should have the best logic in all the world. We should have the best art in all the world. We should have all these things. Do not turn your brain off and just... Uh. Okay, anyways. You can tell I get frustrated sometimes over things. You can pray for your pastor. He needs it. So we're not to have uh, just like go off our feelings or, or go off, you know, where we think we want to go because it makes us feel good. We're, even our salvation is not based upon our feelings. Amen. It's based upon what God has done for us. So there are times where you're going to feel you're going to feel down. You're going to feel uh, left out. Allow logic because logic within logic. You see that word there? Logic. Logos, the word, like God. God gave us logic and reasoning, and so he expects us to use it. He gave you a brain. Please, dear Lord, use it. <laughs> please, please allow that to, to happen. Uh, I, I know you guys are really good at that. It's not, it's not you guys I'm frustrated with. It's, it's other things out in the world where I see some teaching, and I'm just like, please don't. All right, so the rule, uh, also, six, the rule of precedent. Uh, the rule of precedent, we can't violate what already is in front of us. 
And we cannot look at words differently. Like, Scripture is not going to contradict itself. You got me? And if we see, there are some verses that when we first look at it, it seems like contradictory until we pull into the context, until we pull into the argument of what he's saying. And other times, I think there are scriptures that are held in tension together, okay? So imagine there is a, a bolt over there on the side, an eyelet bolt over there, and an eyelet bolt over here on both sides of this, on this platform, okay? And if I say there's an eyelet bolt over on the right side, is that true? Yes. If I say there's an eyelet bolt over on the left side, is that true, right? We could even use the speakers that are hanging. If I say there's a speaker hanging on the right side, is that true? Does it make that there's a speaker hanging on the left side untrue? No. They're, they're both held together. So if we go back to the, the idea of the eyelet bolts, if I string a rope across it, it has tension, right? They're both pulling on each other. Are both of them still there in real, real life? Yeah, if they're there in real life, if I put them up, they'd be there. They're not there. You're pretending then. Yeah, I get it. But they would be there, right? Yeah, so here's, here's the truth. Like, sometimes there's a tension within Scripture. Sometimes there is a tension within even the author writing the one chapter. Like they talk about these things, and sometimes there's a tension within reality. Both things can be true, and they're in tension. Okay? So can God be loving? Can he also judge? Tension, right? You think there's a tension until you realize that a loving God can't allow people to hurt other people without judgment. You with me? If you had a judge in Noblesville court system who let everyone go, how many of you would reelect that person? No. We don't want a God that lets everything go either because it doesn't follow justice. We want justice and righteousness. That's what justice means is righteousness, right standing with God. So we need that. We have to have, uh, we have, to have that precedent of that. We have to look at scriptures and, and realize that uh, they're to be held together and we can't change the usage of a word just because we want to. Number seven is the rule of unity. And that's, that's kind of what I was alluding to here. The parts of Scripture being interpreted must be construed with reference to the significance of the whole. And interpretation must be consistent with the rest of what? Scripture. An excellent example of this is the doctrine of the Trinity. So no single passage in the Bible says Trinity. Okay? But if I turn, you know, if we open up our Bible to Genesis, and we go to Genesis 1.1, what are we going to see? In the beginning. You guys know it. You memorized scripture. Woo! <laughs> All right. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and the darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said. All right, right there. At that point, we have the Trinity. Well, you're like, what? You have God, right? God the Father. You have the Spirit of God hovering over the waters. And then you have the word of God, he spoke. Who is the word of God? Well, let's go to John. All right. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All right. John 1, 1. John 1. John, John was a plagiarist. Because he, he says this. In the beginning, the word already what? Existed. Yeah, it was. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God, and God created everything, who? Through him, 
And nothing was created except through him. It's talking about Jesus. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light so that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. And who is he talking about this whole time? He's talking about the word. Jesus! Man, it excites me when we get scripture that talks about scripture, and it all fits together. You want to know why it all fits together? Because the Holy Spirit helped it came to be. All of these things just like, man, if you just pull apart and, and look at scripture and go through the whole thing, it is the most interesting book in the world. It has more literary tricks and spins than you have ever seen anywhere else. And you're going to, if you really examine it, you're like, how could people, different people, hundreds of years apart, write this and it just like wraps around and it just goes like this and it's living and it's breathing. And then you're like, whoa, how does this fit? It fits together? How, how does this all point to truth? Because God himself helped it come to be, right? Because it's inspired. The inspired word of God is the living word of God. So we can look at the Old Testament. We can look at the New Testament and go, whoa, it fits together. It fits together. Okay, so that's a, sorry, that, that's the rule of unity. I get too excited. Uh, all right, and then eighth, the rule of inference. An inference is a fact reasonably implied by another fact. It's a logical se sequence and consequence. It derives from collusion, conclusion from a given fact or premise. So it, it means that you have to sometimes look at things. So even going back to the illustration that we just gave with the Trinity, right? So the Trinity is a word that we've created in order to understand the concept that's already presented. And if we look at uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, as mentioned in Scripture, we come into inference of how they work together and how it communicates. And I view it as like a three-part harmony that's going on all the time throughout creation, throughout the universe, and throughout the world. And so these things are always working together. It's a deduction of one idea. If this is true, then this must be true. And some of those things we have to do within Scripture. We have to do within Scripture. So not everything is blatantly written out for us. The Word of God was meant to be meditated on and thought about all the time. And we were supposed to create inferences within our own lives on how to live this out. Okay? You, uh, you have to look at Scripture... And then you have to apply it like good medicine to yourself so that you can walk it out. And there may be things for you in Scripture that are not for you yet because you haven't dealt with the things earlier. You with me? It's like you go through a process. When you go to a doctor and they try to diagnose you, you have to go through the process of it. You have to go through the different people that you're visiting. You have to get treatment for that thing. Let's say you get a knee surgery. Now you've had knee surgery. You don't do... Uh, the rehab, day one, you have to get the swelling down. Then you start the rehab. You don't just jump on the treadmill and try to run five miles. You with me? The Word of God builds upon itself, and it builds upon you. And so this is what it's supposed to do for you. You have to figure out how to apply it. And you also have to look at it within context. Again, use logic to create ideas that lead you to answers. So Jesus used this rule when he proved the resurrection of the dead in Matthew 22 and 23 uh, through 33. He used this rule because he was deducing, he, you know, he makes an argument out of this rule. He says, hey, if, if, uh, 
if God is the God of only the living, and if he's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and if God is only the God of the living, according to this other verse, if we put those two verses together, then we have to know that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are what? Living. Uh, what? They're dead. They died. No, they're, they're living in the idea that they are living somewhere. Okay, you with me? Uh, I Something I just started thinking about and how I have to adjust how I talk because I want my talk to match my theology and my understanding of God. Theology means the understanding of God or who God is. Uh, so I want to really know who God is. And so when, when somebody dies, I, I was thinking about this, when somebody dies, we shouldn't say, oh, they were such a sweet person or they were such a good person. Uh, my thought like, and don't feel bad if you've said that. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is I need to change the way I speak because I felt a little conviction over this. I need to say they are a sweet person. When they're believers in Jesus, I know they're still alive. I just don't see them. But I want to speak truth. I want to speak life into what is really alive. They're alive. They're just not in front of me. So they are a sweet person. They were, they're not, were a good person. They are a good person. They they are, you know, with God. They are, they're living somewhere else. They moved. <laughs> so I have to adjust my thought, right? I have to, that's an inference that I made myself. You don't have to do that. You say whatever you want, okay? But I, I'm just saying this is something that I, you know, I've, I've been given thought to. So meditating on scripture allows us to change our, you know, our actions and our thought patterns. And the reason I'm doing that is so that I, I can awaken my own mind to the understanding of what is really happening in eternity. That when you come to Jesus, you start that eternal life now. Not when you die. You've started living eternally now. Amen? That's what scripture says. It says, I've come to give life and life abundantly. I've come that you will not die. You know, this is, well, then what does that mean? It's like, I'm going to live spiritually forever. I'm going to have a physical body in heaven. I'm going to have all of these things, and I'm going to believe this, and now I'm going to start adjusting my life and my language in order to match up with what I believe. All right, so I, I think that's deeply, deeply important. I think it's deeply important that we look at Scripture and try to understand it. And, and some of this, some of you guys are like, Pastor Ben, you just dumped so much stuff on us. I'm not doing any of this. Cool. Read the Bible. All right? Read the Bible. And then pray that the Holy Spirit would show you the Word of God. And, and then when you have questions, research. Look it up. Talk to me. Talk to Pastor Greg. Talk to someone else that you trust as believers in Jesus. Look it up. Study it. Know it. Get a good study Bible. There's a plenty of them out there. We have access to more knowledge than we'd ever need. But start with reading. And then study. And if a verse pops out at you, start looking at that verse. Try to understand it in the context of what's happening. And then allow God to change you. Because here is the only thing that matters in all of this, is that God has spoken to you, and he wants you to know who you are in him, once you become to believe in him, and he wants you to know who he is. Okay? All that heady stuff and all of, you know, the Greek and Hebrew and everything, you can get so caught up in knowledge that you leave God behind. Don't do it. Be practical in how you apply Scripture. Allow God to speak to you through His Word. I know I've talked with some of you, and you've said, I just, I never feel like I hear 
the voice of God. And I saw a picture yesterday, and I reposted it because I was like, oh, that's great. And it was like, I, the, the whole thing was like, I never hear from God. And the person was like, well, what about the Bible? And then the response was, well, I never like hear from God out loud. And then the response was, read the Bible out loud. I do that because I do this myself. I'll sit there and say, oh, you know, oh, I just wish God would speak to me on this, speak to me on this. Like, dude. Yeah. Like, even if you never had a divine feeling, even if you never felt like God spoke, to, and God can speak to you, okay? I believe he can. Even if you never felt like he did, he has given you so much here that you could never exhaust what he's already told you. He's given you so much here. And, and so I think sometimes when we search for those other things, we're, it's misplaced energy because he's already given us his word. We really need to know this because if God is going to speak to us, we have to discern whether or not it's really from him. Well, how do we know if God's really speaking to us? We have to go back to the word, his word, right? Yeah. All right. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for your word, that it spoke humanity into existence, that created things out of nothing, that it is living and alive today. It is sharper than in the scalpel. It divides truth. It divides things within our own heart and life. It shows us what we should be doing and what we shouldn't be doing. Lord, I pray that I would be more in your word. Lord, I pray for your people here today that they would open the Bible for themselves, that they wouldn't just trust whatever yokel with a mic, but instead they, they would look at your word and they would examine it so they could tell whether or not what is being said is true. Lord, I, I pray that you would just guide them by your spirit, that you would help them live it out to transition it into their real life, to apply it. Help us to be uh, studiers of your word, to, to be meditators on that. Lord, I pray that you would grow us in understanding who you are, what you're doing, what you've done, and who you want us to be with you. God, I pray for anyone out there today that doesn't know you as their Savior, that doesn't know you as somebody that they can ask for forgiveness from. Uh, God, I... I mess up so much. I'm so thankful that I can come to you and say I'm sorry and you can forgive me. So once again, right now, I ask for everyone in here, I ask for their forgiveness. I ask that you would cleanse them, that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse me, that you would relieve me of any uh, tension, any anger, any pride, and that you would replace it with your Holy Spirit that you would help us to discern, to know what is from you and what isn't from you. Help us to continue to choose the way you want us to go. It's in Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen.